chew with your mouth closed. Really, Pauline, I've raised you better than that. Yes, you may be excused. Thank goodness I have you. Much has changed since I was an adolescent. The function of reproductive organs, however, has not. Now before we get sidetracked looking at pictures of penises, I want to have a frank discussion on the issue of sexually transmitted diseases. Fact, one in two sexually active teenagers will contract an STD by the age of 25. What do you think about that? Yeah, Pauline? Can you contract an STD from having sex with a dead person? Any, any real questions in this audience? <coughs> yeah. If a mosquito bites you, that is. labyrinth of bollards set up out in the uh, in the lot to, to thread your way around oh good I asked the uh, asked the poor you know the people with the syringes if they had any protection against carbon monoxide because that place is toxic oh man <laughs> and then, then you have to drive to a nearby place and uh, leave everything unlocked and um, wait 15 minutes and then if you didn't explode or anything then you could go so is your arm sore yep it was really sore this morning uh but it's, it's not bad now it feels like you got punched by a bully doesn't it i yeah. my arm hurt for maybe an hour i've been punched and it hasn't lasted that long yeah it, it just uh yeah it was, it was really sore this is the first thing yeah, usually by dinner time. If you got punched around lunchtime at school, by dinner you're you're not, not even thinking about it anymore. Yeah, I, I'm told to keep the area moving. Yeah, keep the circulation going. Go around and punch a bunch of weaklings. That'll, yeah. <laughs> that'll keep got, your deltoid moving. I've got to find someone weaker than me to punch. <laughs> I don't have anyone in my bubble. The guy from the old comic book ads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go kick sand in his face and then punch him. I, I've got the choice of my dog, who I don't want to punch. Oh. And my wife, who does kickboxing and could kick my butt. <laughs> and my my mother-in-law, who I'd probably kill. <laughs> right. So. We're going to talk about Billy Blanks a little bit later, so <laughs> I'm oh, okay. glad you brought that up. 
Tybo. <laughs> well, let's intro it and talk about stuff. All right. Very well. All right. Hey, listeners, you're listening to another exciting episode of Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. This here is one of them podcasts that talks about horror movies, but it's three friends who get together virtually until safe to do otherwise, which will be soon. And uh, we talk about a horror movie, which we will spoil, and some recently watched, which we will try not to spoil. We're not professional critics. We're just uh, guys who draw stuff and do other work and uh, have pets. And uh, <laughs> uh, we thank the Moonrays for giving us that song. Intro Creature Features at the top of the show. You can find their music on Amazon or Apple Music where you could buy it digitally and say hello to them on Facebook where they are the Moon Dash Rays. I'm Richard. I'm here with Will and Jolian. Hello. And uh, guys, uh, here we are. Uh, we've all been stabbed with needles by now, right? Oh, yes. yes. Uh, was it pertinent to vaccination or just random? Just for fun. Oh, just okay. random. Okay. Eventually, here's the thing. Okay, we're in Denver for any listeners who don't know this. We have a horror-themed bar that just opened here. Will, it's about eight blocks from your front door. Yes, I've driven past it twice now. Yeah, I've done the slow drive past it and just leered and thinking, hmm, why don't we just go in there and just drink our sorrows away? Well, soon. Maybe they'll they sponsor us. Do they advertise award-winning chili? <laughs> yeah. Mm, fresh they meat. should. They That's did. the secret. Fresh <laughs> meat. They did say on their Instagram that they were closed Monday for meat hook sharpening. So okay. you may not be far off the mark. They're honest. Yeah. So uh, today we're going to talk about excision, the movie, not the actual excising of internal organs. But um, before we do that, recently watched, do either one of you want to start it off? Um, Jolly? Uh, well, all right, let's be quick. I uh, watched uh, Flying Guillotine 2. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> From 1978. Is it, um, is it the, does the title literally tell us what's happening in the movie? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as in the first one, the uh, evil emperor's got this uh, death squad of uh, guys armed with uh, flying guillotines. And, uh, and then there's uh, the heroes, who are the rebels who are out to assassinate the, the bad Manchu em emperor. Um, and uh, apparently this... I mean, so the first flying guillotine movie kicked off the craze, and then by this, by the time this one rolled around, uh, they're having to outdo a lot of other ones, and it was a bit of a mess. And like three of the stars had just walked off the production; they'd left the studio altogether. Wow. Um, yeah, the star of the first one was Chen Quan Tai, and he he just left uh, Shaw Brothers. Uh, you know, uh, he 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 went into production. I think he's a, he's a smart fella. Uh, tai Long steps up as the male lead, but he's not in it that much. The real lead is uh, uh, Shih Tzu. Um, she's, the, she's one of the rebels, and she, uh, her and her all-female squad uh, become the Emperor's bodyguards, and they take over the flying guillotine squad because they outfight the male ones, the male applicants. And... Um, uh, 
Tai Lung plays this uh, inventor who's um, who's come up with a steel umbrella, you know, from the first Flying Guillotine movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the, for those who don't know, the Flying Guillotine is this legendary weapon. It looks like um, this is like a lampshade with a buzzsaw around it. And it's on a chain, and then the, you get you throw it, and it lands on the uh, over the head of your enemy, and then you pull the chain, and the uh, the blades close, and you whip off the guy's head. Oh. Um, so anyway, he's got he's he came up with this steel umbrella thing, and uh, which, which you can catch the the flying guillotine with, and uh, and therefore beat it. So the uh, the emperor commissions. Um, a uh, even better flying guillotine, which has a double guillotine. So, hmm. <laughs> so that uh, uh, even if you catch it on your spear, a second part of it comes off and flies over your head. <laughs> wow! Um, so uh, they have to gloss the, the special effects. Like uh, being able to do that is just way beyond the, their capabilities at the time. So they kind of fudge the issue, uh, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but uh, there's plenty of decapitation action, and uh, uh, you got you got lots of fighting in it. Uh, Ku Feng is the emperor; he's always a great bad guy. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it was overall quite fun. You know, is uh, better than you'd expect from the mess uh, of the production. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I always enjoy these things. So anyway, that's uh, that's what I watch. Uh, Emily's watching uh, the Magicians. I think it's on oh, Net- Netflix. Yeah, yeah, she's she's watching that. It's pretty good. So when you originally said flying guillotine mm-hmm. last week, I was picturing like the French Revolution. Right. Yeah, but that it's no, not no. no. It's, it, it just means a thing that cuts off heads. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, I think I that thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I borrowed one of those from you once. Uh, yeah, my favorite one is Master of the Flying Guillotine from 1976. Yeah. It's just it's just so crazy. Really yeah, awesome. I think that was the one you lent me. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, uh, I think you re- you uh, it came up because of a Wu Tang reference to the flying guillotine yeah and you were like oh i have that film you should check it out right yeah it's great it, they they use um uh in that one they use a bit of uh uh music from a german group called Neue. oh okay and uh uh you know that's the theme whenever the evil monk with his flying guillotine turns up and uh that gets sampled in a lot of hip-hop and so, nice. Yeah, yeah if, if you listen, if you're a fan of the Wu Tang Clan, you've you've heard bits from this. You've movie. heard it, I'm sure. Uh, and in fact, Flying Guillotine Two, uh, the bulk of its soundtrack comes from. Um, it's definitely Akira Ifukube. I think it's uh, from the Daimajin trilogy from '66. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, yeah, I was quite distracted during the uh, during some of the, the uh, duller bits because it's like, where's that from? You know, trying to figure out where it's from. But uh, yeah, I think it's from Daimajin. But... Um, yeah, it's, it's always fun spotting where soundtracks are from. There's a there's a great website called Who Sampled. So if you oh, he- yeah. if you hear something and you're like, "What the hell?" It's oh, that's uh, uh, Black Caesar. You know, you listen to th- these things and you're just like, "Oh, it's you're just 
trying to uh, extract it from the depths of your brain. It's like, oh, some yes. some funk hit from 1978. You know, oh, yeah. you hear like a half a second of it in some song and you're like, oh, I know that. I know that. What is it? Right. Yeah, the obvious ones are like funk and uh, like especially James Brown and stuff. But um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, my favorite ones when uh, like hardcore hip hop groups are sampled from people like Shirley Bassey and uh, you know it's like <laughs> yeah. un- really unlikely samples. But uh, obviously, someone doing the mixing is, is a bit more eclectic than usual. Oh yeah, there's there, there's a uh, there's a song that uh, the young woman at work uh, has on one of her playlists that is called Cosby sweater, which, you know, it didn't age well, <laughs> but the song was clearly like some psychedelic song from the sixties. And I'm like, I don't know the, I don't know what the song is, but it's clearly a psychedelic song from like the mid sixties, late sixties. And sure enough, I went on who sampled and it was, I can't remember it right now, but it was, uh, yeah. yeah. But <clears throat> any references to Bill Cosby in your songs not gonna not gonna carry forward very no. well. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know the Matt Gates references are already just going a bad direction. <laughs> <clears throat> Don't put them in your song. Is all I'm saying. Oh, okay. I got write rewrite some songs now. Jolien, was that it for your recently watched, or did you have some yep. more? Do you want to go? Sure. Um, we finished up Bloodlands. Uh, not quite what I had predicted. Kind of close. Um, it seemed to wrap up quickly. I don't know. I was expecting six episodes, and they only gave us four. Um, so that fourth episode seemed like rather fast. Uh then we will watch the rest of the investigation. Uh, this is a Dutch show about uh, a journalist who was killed and uh, figuring out what happened. Uh, pretty good. Uh, that's on HBO. Um, Course in Voyager and um, uh, Riverdale, which I've mentioned in the past. Um, it's not very good, but I think what they're missing is really, really bad jokes. Like they could be all dramatic, and then they would throw in some joke about, you know, uh, Jughead eating a lot of hot dogs or, or whatever the jokes in Archie comics where I can't remember any off the top of my head. But uh, isn't Sabrina one of the Archie's? Universe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. That show went through bad. It went it really decide, weird really quick. It couldn't decide what it wanted to be. If it wanted her to be evil or not. Yeah. I mean, she's a Satanist, but they had to have all this moralizing. It's like, no, just flat out make her a Satanist. Not, yeah, I'm not going to get into all of that. But the, yeah, uh, that wouldn't make her a bad person. It would just, um, you know... It would say... I'm saying, yeah, make her a bad person. Why not? She could be a good person and be a Satanist, or a bad person and be a Satanist, or whatever, you know. Yeah. But but typically... It just seemed to be a weird mixed message within the show. Not just Sabrina's character, but the show itself was... These are all supposed to be dark characters, but none of them are actually evil. 
So what, you know, so are they all faking it? What, what I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's cool to be evil. Uh, it's like pretending to smoke. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, then we started uh, Picard. We watched a few episodes of that. It looks great. I'm not quite sure the stories sort of engaged me, but I feel like I, I'm... I don't have enough of the puzzle yet. We've only watched, I think, three episodes. Um, so I'm a little lost as to where they're going with stuff and how things line up. But that hopefully resolves as the story goes along. Um, then I watched a, a documentary today called McMillions, which is a, uh, a HBO documentary about a group of people who rigged the... Donald's Monopoly games uh, for a number of years mm-hmm. and made millions of dollars and uh, yeah it's it's really good it's uh, got a lot of colorful characters um, yeah I saw that one too and and, and uh, could, could we give a small spoiler and say there was some uh, mafia tie-ins yeah, there's some mob tie-ins, as you would expect. <laughs> Put on Enough your sh- money's being made, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, no, it's uh, were the were the uh, the evil doers in that show wearing like stripy shirts and domino masks? <laughs> That's funny. They had uh, <laughs> yeah, when they were coming up with the uh, the operation name for the FBI operation they they had like operation hamburglar <laughs> right <laughs> yeah the the uh the fbi guys were hilarious they were the probably the yeah, best part the of the whole guy thing really really lively not what you expect an fbi agent to kind of act like wasn't that why they put A him very, on it because he was kind of had a boisterous personality uh sort of he kind of just wormed his way i mean he got the ball started and then he kind of refused to ever step back. And he was gunning for an undercover operation before they even knew what was going on. He was like, I want to go undercover. He'd not been trained for that. Um, But uh, he came up with a plan. Finally, once they kind of figured out, they didn't know. I'm not giving much away. uh, They didn't know if McDonald's, if someone in, in McDonald's, within McDonald's, was involved. Um, so they only told the head of McDonald's security. And uh, so they got uh, this this FBI agent, got the idea that they would contact all the past winners under the guise of being uh, making a commercial. And then, the, at, uh, and then they were all going to go to Vegas and have a reunion for all the winners of McDonald's. And basically, he pretended to be the director, and he had some other agents be like the lighting guy. He didn't know anything about lighting. I figured you can't learn. He, the agent's like, I still, I don't know what the light meter does. I have no idea. I'm like, you couldn't learn that? It takes about 10 minutes to learn what the light meter does. It's not hard. But neither do your um, marks. Your marks don't know anything about this stuff either. So, yeah, they, yeah, it doesn't matter. But it always looks better yeah. if you're prepared. Um uh, so yeah, so they just basically went around and filmed these people and got them to tell their story and 
the first guy seemed pretty natural. He didn't he didn't seem to his story was a little weak at times. Um, you could kind of see him fumbling, but not too bad. The second person they interviewed was this lady, and you could tell she knew the gig was up. And she wasn't going to say anything, but she was just, like, very stone-faced, kind of standoffish. You know, like, mm, maybe that's her personality. But then, I don't know if it's the third guy or a guy later on, but uh, one of the guys is just sweating bullets. Yeah, he was flop-sweating really bad. like stumbling through the story like he can't remember any details whoa your background fell over yeah and uh yeah uh pretty good show (laughs) oh here comes a production assistant (laughs) it's 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 easy it's easy to tell (laughs) which agent is uh a uh, professional podcaster, <laughs> which one's not? I'm kidding. We're not professional. We don't get paid. So, uh, over, so you you plowed through the whole series? Uh, no, I think I have two episodes left. Uh, the surprises or one and a half, really. Yeah, the surprises won't be huge. I don't think you you kind of expect somebody to go to jail and somebody to freak out and run away or whatever. I don't even remember what happened at the end, but yeah, Yeah. Uh, we're kind of getting into that. We're, you know, people who've we've seen being interviewed throughout are now revealing like, and that's how I went to jail for, you know, I don't know what the sentences are. They've not laid that out yet, but. So what is worth going to prison for? You know, that's, that's kind of, really what it boils down to what what's worth the risk you know billion dollars a billion dollars not a million so when they come up with mcbillions then we'll talk yeah but then when you gotta kick half of it back up to the mob boss then uh then it's a mchalf and then you gotta pay taxes on the rest yeah so you yeah so that's what got me so uncle sam takes half off the top then the mob boss takes you know, he wants to take half off the top too, but no, the mob boss takes his cut first. Yeah. Then uncle Sam gets his cut out of yours. Right. And then you're left with whatever. And I don't know. I'm okay with paying one of those, but not both. You know, we have <laughs> listeners in Russia. They're probably listening. Like, to this going. I'd kick <laughs> someone up their, their taste. I don't mind. Sure. That's, you know, they're facilitating this in some way. There's finders fees and everything. It's capitalism. I'm not going to complain too much, but then to, it seems like double dipping. There. It does. Yeah, it I'm, does. Getting, I'm getting bitten twice there. It's not worth it. Yeah. This, this, uh, this winning ticket's got, it's been stepped on too many times, you guys. Yeah. yeah, our, yeah our, that's what all those come down to is greed. It's just don't be greedy. Yeah. Someone tell our government that. But our listeners in Russia are going, you know what, you guys, it could be worse. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> we do have listeners in Russia. That's why I say that. Do we? Yeah. The, the Russian Federation is listening to us. It could just be agents, but I, I suspect it's... I don't know. Maybe someone's trying to perfect their accents. Maybe they just like horror movies and they're not a lot of horror movie podcasts. Yeah, that's probably like true. The people in Brazil claimed. 
Yeah, I don't think we're we're much of a route to bringing down Western civilization. Mm, probably not. No, probably not. <laughs> this is not your way in. <laughs> this is a kind no. of a. It, this is going to dead end immediately for you. Yeah, move on, guys. Yeah. Anything so else? That, that I think that wraps it up for me. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting something here or there, but details. Well, funny you should say that. I forgot one. Uh, from a week or two ago. Um, I'd always heard about this, this uh, documentary called Contiki. And I knew the basic premise was that mm. some, some guys from, uh, from Norway had decided to build a raft that they were going Thor Heyerdahl. What's that? Yep. Thor Heyerdahl. Oh yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> so who is, who is Thor? Do, do you have a, a good recollection of that, Julian? No, he, he was like really famous at the time because he wanted to, uh, he reckoned that uh, he could prove how people could take a fairly small boat and sail out to Polynesian islands uh, with, with that technology. Yeah. Yeah, th- this was yeah. interesting to me because I lived in Hawaii for uh, not quite five years. And, uh, and I remember doing some reading and, and uh, my understanding was that the path of migration went from Southeast Asia to, you know, throughout the Pacific. And that's where the Polynesians were hailing from. Um, I don't know if, uh, if uh, Thor Heyerdahl's theory held up to later, maybe genetic examination, because I'm sure that you could just, you know, run a 23 and me and say, Hey, uh, you know, these guys actually do come from South America. Like he surmised or from Southeast Asia, like other folks have surmised. I don't know what they've concluded in recent times with new technology, but the truth is this 1947 expedition on a raft made of balsa logs was successful. They were able to get where they were going and it was super fascinating that they, they brought cameras and the cameras survived. Uh, but they had, uh, they had made something very seafaring and uh, they were able to navigate it and make their way to at least one island and prove that it could be done with the experience they had and the materials they had. And they didn't use any modern technology, I understand, except for the radio in case they were really in a bad spot and needed help. But... Otherwise, they were just like, we're catching fish. Um, not to dwell on this one for too long. It, it's very interesting. People should watch it. They seem, maybe they eat a lot of fish. Maybe the crew is bigger than I thought. But they're like, yeah, we, we could catch like two sharks in a day and a bunch of other fish. And I'm thinking, how much shark do you eat, man? it sounds like it it got kind of weird they did uh, put this documentary out in 1950 and uh, it uh, won the Academy Award so that was it was really cool to finally watch this one Um, let's see I I got kind of interested in documentaries about um, art heists and uh, art forgeries so I watched This is a Robbery, the world's greatest art heist. This came out this year officially. And uh, this is about uh, the, the uh, 1990 robbery of the uh, Isabella Stewart 
Gardner Museum in Boston. It's a four-part series. It's so worth watching because you, you think about like, okay, well, back to like technology of its day. 1990, you had VHS tapes rolling with, you know, low-res tape with low-res cameras. It's only going to capture so much. And other perimeter kind of sensors and whatever are only going to be so effective. But uh, they pulled this heist on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> and uh, I can imagine the cops were busy in Boston on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> These guys spent, who whoever the thieves actually were, spent 81 minutes in the museum and took millions and millions of dollars worth of art out of this museum. And... Uh, Again, I'm going to try not to spoil it. The, you'll know that from probably the preview. Uh, definitely, if you have Netflix, watch this one. It's it's very uh, very worth watching. The, the The episodes are just under an hour. There's four of them. Uh, if you like art stuff, especially if you like uh, heist stuff, you get both. Um, that put me on to uh, made you look. A True Story About Fake Art. This came out in last year, in 2020. And this one is about uh, a woman who uh, worked for, let's see, it was Anne Friedman uh, who worked for the Nodler Gallery in New York. And she was uh, making really good commissions off of brokering some of these paintings that some sort of sketchy, sort of mysterious person was bringing in they had a backstory about this wealthy person who had uh, amassed this huge collection of art, but it was never on record. But it was 19 late 40s, I think, into the early 60s. I'm guessing from faulty memory here. And uh, it's like, oh yeah, so the uh, so the uh, abstract expressionist period is well represented by this person's collection. So they had Jackson Pollock, Willem de Kooning, uh, just a whole bunch of these artists who were very desirable paintings to own, especially if they were previously unknown pieces. And it just seemed like she, like it was a clown car of, of previously unknown pieces that just kept, they kept coming <laughs> one after another, you know, over the period of uh, a decade and a half, two decades, this woman sold tens of millions of dollars. Well, she made tens of millions of dollars worth of commissions off of selling this art through the gallery. And then it turns out there's just a really, well, this is, this is not a spoiler. There's a really good forger involved in this story. And, uh, people who were experts were fooled. It took some really crazy examination uh, for anybody to say otherwise, but some of the top experts were like, yeah, wow. Yeah, this is totally a Jackson Pollock. And again, you if, know, you, yeah. if you want to nerd they out. They say that. They say that, but um, I know at least in one case, there was a, with an art forgery, there was a lady who, who, uh, was an expert in whatever art they were forging. It's the details are fuzzy now. Um, and she kept telling people, these are fake. These are fake. These aren't even good fakes. These are fake. And they all wrote her off because 
they were so excited to have new works by, I'm going to make up a name here, Francis Bacon or somebody. And, uh, you know, yeah. So I wonder, I wonder if, if the experts aren't, you know, they would see what they want to see. That they look at it and they think, oh my God, this is a Jackson Pollock. This is a, oh, an un, you know, never before seen Jackson Pollock. And, you know, how many people also, you know, looked at these? I don't know. Wishful thinking is a big part of it when you're making money. Yeah. You know, you, if you, uh, if you, if you find a bunch of fool's gold, you want to believe it's real gold. And I think, I think that's what a lot of this is, but, uh, yeah. When the dominoes start to, uh, tumble, it's not a pretty scene when, when there's millions of dollars involved. Yeah. Um, I have a couple more. I'll, I'll go over these really, really quick to get to our featured attraction. I watched uh, The Magic of Houdini, and this was just a very short, like less than an hour long documentary, because I was just kind of thinking about Houdini and kind of missing him and hadn't watched any old archival footage in a while. And uh, thought, you know what, I'm going to just search this on Prime and see what they got. And I found something that had great archival footage, really, you know, uh, it's kind of funny when you see something from this, like, 19... 74 75 where somebody is talking about how well you know 20 years ago we had the the seance where we blah 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 and we figured it had been long enough and i'm thinking god it's been a whole lifetime since you were on camera saying this uh, but uh yeah it was really neat to see like the old footage of houdini in the 1920s you know suspended off some building escaping from a straitjacket or a bunch of guys chaining him up and chucking him into a lake. <laughs> it's so cool that he was ready to go for anything. If you're into like magic tricks and art forgery and so on, uh, there's an Orson Welles semi-documentary called F is for Fake. Yes. Seen that one? Yes. yes. Yeah. It's, it's really so fun. <laughs> okay. Just check it. And it's all true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the pompousness of Orson Welles <laughs> is not lost on me. It's so cool. <laughs> He's so fun in that one, isn't he? Yeah, oh yeah. Yes. He hams it up so beautifully. <laughs> uh, so that one, yeah, if you feel like getting some, some Houdini fix, The Magic of Houdini, that's on Prime. Uh, I watched um, uh, The Two Killings of Sam Cooke. I've always loved Sam Cooke's music, but really didn't know much about how he died or why, or, or much at all about the circumstances. So this is a very interesting documentary. Um, you get you get commentary and and uh, well interview footage from Quincy Jones, um, Smokey Robinson, all kinds of people who knew him well, and it's like I always just loved the sound of this guy's voice and the way the arrangements of his music, but didn't know like well what happened and it turns out that you know he like anyone he had a darker side and and uh bad things happened uh this is about uh an hour or 15 minutes and it gets to the point it doesn't mess around because it's got something to tell you and uh totally worth a look 
the last one on my recently watched is uh, Iron Fists and Kung Fu Kicks. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you mentioned the Shaw Brothers earlier. And I think anyone who knows at all about what the studios were doing in the late 60s, early 70s, these guys dropped the ball on, on, on signing Bruce Lee. And later managed to do it again and not sign Jackie Chan. Mm-hmm. Man, I mean, I know they made their money, but uh, it was a, a Golden Harvest. That's the yes. one. That's the one that that they knew what they were doing. Uh, but this is great because you have all kinds of like hip hop artists, uh, all these actors, American and Asian actors. I mean, you you have uh, people who are who are just like, yeah, when this thing went off, it went off big and we jumped on it or uh, we were fascinated by it and it influenced us. But, you know, you got you got people who uh, who are musicians talking about this stuff and people who ended up in in uh, the Kung Fu movies talking about it. And uh, the list is just just ridiculously long. Um but you you find out that the Bru- the uh, Bruce Plantation stuff uh, was from just talking about it and just knowing what I know about it. You know, you talking about it, Julian, and and me knowing what I know about it and what I saw in movies and magazines. It was way worse than I thought. <laughs> you know, the exploitation of of the late Bruce oh, yeah. Lee was just awful. Show his actual funeral and everything. They used funeral footage in one of the movies. In several, yeah. Yeah, what the hell? And and I knew that the the lookalikes in Game of Death were just not good at all, but I didn't know that <laughs> they taped a paper mask, like a picture of Bruce Lee to the front of a dude's face for, uh-huh. for one shot. <laughs> a two-dimensional paper mask. Oh, man. Uh, even if this isn't an interesting subject to somebody, this documentary is... is Totally worth watching. And uh, this one is on, uh, I believe it's on, it's either on Prime or Netflix. I, I'm pretty sure it's on Prime. Uh, this came out 2019. It's pretty new and it's so fun. <laughs> uh, that's it for me, recently watched. And then Excision, Will's pick. Yeah, I, I noticed that um, none of us have watched horror movies. Oh. We're just not in the mood for them right now. That's the, no. you know, I can't give you a good reason why, like why I've not watched any in the last week or maybe the week previous. Uh, is it because it's springtime and the birds are singing? Yeah, that's right. Our thoughts turn to, to life and laughter and love. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yes, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, you just feel like Snow White. You know, the birds are putting your clothes on and stuff. Yes, all the all the little animals are singing and. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Speaking of which, if any listeners heard those weird gremlin noises earlier, that was uh, a little fox terrier and a little chihuahua wrestling. Uh, Their favorite place to do that is near a microphone and under my feet. Well, of course. Yeah. So, uh, excision. What do you think of this, Richard? Well, okay, you you picked this sort of. I put it. I picked this. Yeah, you picked this sort of blind and, blindly. Yeah. Uh, I was very happy with this with this choice, and I did some digging and could not find 
I was hoping there would be like, well, Tracy Lords and John Waters were involved because so-and-so was, you know, under their wing and they were helping them come. No, there, there was nothing that told me why it had this sort of ensemble. I can't call it an ensemble cast, but a cast that contained at least four people you should know from previous stuff, including John Waters and Ray Wise. Uh, oh, Malcolm, Mal- Mac- Malcolm McDowell was in it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Molly yeah. Matlin. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Molly Matlin, yeah. yeah. I and, think because they were all shot in a day. Yeah? Not the same day. No. But, you know, Everyone Malcolm gave... McDowell came in for one day. Yeah. You know. His plane ticket was his, paid him. his plane ticket was still sticking out of his pocket. Yeah. <laughs> he landed, did did the shots, had dinner, left the next morning. Yeah, but he doesn't just like toss it off. It's uh he No, he did really good. Yeah. Good character. Everybody took yeah. it seriously, it seemed. Uh I liked the fact that this started off and you could tell it's it knows it's quirky, but it's not being uh silly or what's the best way I could say it, it, it knows it's quirky, but it, but it knows quirky well enough to, to not be dumb about it. Yeah. And and the casting other than the people we know, the casting was interesting because, um, Annalyn McCord is this super awkward, supposedly kind of, uh, I won't say homely, but she's supposed to be, uh, you know, a, a little dorky looking. And I'm watching this going, I can tell this is a really beautiful young woman. Oh, yeah. Was, you can see that bone structure. Yeah. You, you, could, yeah. S- you could see through all of the makeup and hair that they did. She, she's made up as, she looks like Frankenstein's daughter from the 50s. Yeah. <laughs> she's got the, the wild eyebrows and the messed, acne and so on. Messed up hair. You, you can tell it's a beautiful woman playing. And, and I looked later, I, I just Googled her and did like an image search. And it's like, yes, she is a very beautiful well, she, woman. She shows up in the movie without that. Right. She does eventually. On. Yeah. In her dreams, she doesn't look like that. She looks like, well, a much more beautiful version. Right. <clears throat> now, she's supposed to be like a disturbed, uh, not just has issues, but but has conditions maybe like, uh, and we're not sure what to do with this character, but, uh, she, there's, I think it's just two siblings, her and her younger sister. And, yeah. uh, you know, so she's supposed to be leading by maybe example and, uh, maybe thinking about what she's going to do with herself after high school. Cause she's supposed to be like, I guess a junior, she's like 17. Hey. Yeah, she, I think they refer to her as being eighteen. In the... She says she's eighteen oh, okay. uh, at some point. Oh, she's going to have um, her eighteenth birthday. You always, you also get the feeling that she feels a little uh, neglected, maybe or ignored by her parents because her uh, younger sister is ill with cystic fibrosis. So that kind of ties in with her. Uh, sort of fascination with medicine yeah and it's it, it's like and go ahead much like our friend danzig 
Pauline in this has a real blood fetish. Oh boy, does she. At least the blood looks but, real, right? And it was creative. I was like, man, Glenn Danzig wishes he could make something like this. <laughs> um, there was... It's a little jarring when you uh, cut to a, 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 a counseling session and John Waters is the priest who's also the yes. counselor. Because if you know who John Waters is, it's like, it's like having Pee Wee Herman is the cop that pulled somebody over. You know, you just you go, oh, it's Pee Wee Herman as a cop. It's John Waters as the priest slash counselor. Wow. I think John Waters would make a great counselor. Well, I think so too. He could probably sort out a lot of people's problems. He's certainly not judgmental. (laughs) Definitely not. Uh, But very recognizable, I guess, was more my point. You know, anyone who digs John Waters. Yeah, no, certainly. Yeah, yeah, here he is. It's John Waters in your movie. (laughs) Yeah. But it gives it street cred immediately, doesn't it? A little bit, yeah. It's like, oh, this movie's starting out a little quirky. Oh, shit, man, you got John Waters? All right. Yeah. You can own all the quirky you want. But I can imagine Pee Wee Herman playing a cop if they ever did a reboot of, uh, like, the Andy Griffith show. Oh, I'd love that. Ooh. <laughs> I've only got this one bullet. <laughs> a new Barney Fife. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Don Knotts was all right, but Pee Wee Herman would slay. I can see that. Um, so what did you guys think of the quirkiness angle of this? Did it take anything away from what it was trying to do story-wise? I, I kind of revolt from quirky indie comedies. So it so it, it knocks you back a little and it makes you ex- expect them to explain themselves? I, I just don't like them. Okay. Uh, I don't uh, like this one. I didn't find it funny. Um, it was like... Uh, it's like it's like when a when a movie says, "Oh, this is a cult movie." Uh, yeah, it, it just mm, turns me off. That. Yeah, um, don't tell us; we'll tell you when it's yeah. a cult movie. Yeah, I, I, I found the comedy in this was so on the nose and uh, just taking these cliche characters of like the uh, the uh, uninvolved husband who's sitting there with his paper at the table. Uh, yeah. Never seen that in real life. It's, I, I thought all the jokes were just pulled off with other like movies from decades before uh, the, the controlling mother. Um, so I didn't find it funny, but that said, I've, I found the, uh, the people playing these characters were really impressive and they, they brought other dimensions and uh, like Annalyn McCord, i in Hollywood. It's always, uh, you know, they, they just uh, fight to play unhinged people because like, that wins awards and she does a really great job at it but the person who most impressed me is tracy lords as the as the mother because this is like probably the least sympathetic character in the movie and uh, she made us sympathetic and she was really pretty heartbreaking at the end yeah yeah uh so uh you know i've I've seen her in in several other movies Uh, i've not seen any of her porno films but um uh you know i've seen some of the like uh the you know, the science fiction film she's been in. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she was all right, but she's really impressive in this one. Yeah. Yeah, she was in um, Not of This Earth and Shock'em Dead. 
yeah, she's she's really interesting. Um, there's a there's a whole there's a whole theory about uh, how the dominoes fell, the whole domino thing. She, uh, for listeners who don't know, Tracy Lords was a porn actress who used a uh, fake ID to get into the business when she was underage. And at a point where she was about to turn 18, she went to France, made a movie right after she turned 18 with her own brand new production company. And then everything kind of uh, hit the fan in the porno world because uh, it was revealed somehow through supposed investigation that uh, all of her previous work was done underage and therefore child porn technically. Uh, There's a theory that maybe she's the one who blew the whistle on the whole thing. And that meant all of the old work went away and anyone who wanted her work got it from her brand new. Uh, Who knows? You know, she's she's saying otherwise people people from the industry from back in the day are saying, nah, clearly this is what happened. But uh, what she always wanted was to go legit, quote unquote, legit and become a Hollywood actor, which she did do. She was in Crybaby, you know, John Waters movie and not of this earth and uh, shock him dead and, and and this one and probably a couple others. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Princess Iman, another one I've seen. Oh, okay. Tommy Knockers. She was in Tommy Knockers. What? Yes. <laughs> they just put her in it because it had knockers in the title and they thought it would be funny. <laughs> I think it was the first thing she was in. Oh, was it? After her porn career. Yeah. Interesting. I thought it was I thought it was Shock'em Dead, but I, I honestly Maybe. Uh, I, I'm no but... scholar of this. Yeah, not nor am I. Yeah, I just remember she was in that terrible thing. Yeah, uh, I did meet a terrible book. I did meet her at uh, Flashback Weekend in Chicago. I don't know. Do you, Do you guys know my story about meeting Tracy Lords? No. Okay. Um. So my booth at uh, I was selling my artwork at this uh, horror con in Chicago, uh, called Flashback Weekend. And straight across from me was Clive Barker's agent selling Clive Barker's artwork and two of the Cenobites, uh, uh, Barbie Wild and uh, uh, Nicholas Vince, who was the chatterer. So it was the female Cenobite, as they called her, Mm -hmm. from uh, Hellraiser 2 and uh, the chatterer. Uh, And... Then there was uh, the two guys from Children of the Corn and then I think another person and then tracy lords uh this is the aisle i'm facing you know the row that i'm facing from where i'm selling my artwork and i kind of double take i look up and tracy lords is standing in front of me and says hey listen um i saw barbie looking at that piece right there and if she doesn't buy it i want it and i said oh it's a it's a limited edition i have more than one it's a print so it was a hand screen printed uh picture that uh, I collaborated with a friend of ours and it was a uh, flying saucer abducting the RV from uh, Breaking Bad and I call okay, yeah. yeah I called it crystal blue abduction 
And so I asked her, well, uh, do you want me to, that's the dogs again. I'm sorry. Um, they're running laps. Uh, I asked her if she wanted it flat or rolled, I would pack it up and make it ready for her. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, yeah, pack it flat. I have flat things that'll go in my, you know, my, my luggage. And, uh, I get this thing ready for her and I go over there and Robert Rustler, who was one of the two bullies in weird science that dumped the icy on the kids' heads in the mall. He's standing there mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm waiting and he turns around and he goes, Hey, I'm talking to Tracy Lords. Can't you see? And I said, what are you going to do? Dump an icy on my head? And he laughs and says, oh, that'll cost you 150 bucks. He was, he was messing with me, but uh, it was funny. And so, yeah. uh, Robert Russell is a character. And uh, so that was my, my fun moment of the weekend, uh, interacting with uh, not just a Cenobite, but uh, Tracy Lords and Robert Russell, who was also, uh, he was the uh, guy in uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 that was friends with the, the kid. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was a lot like high school Spanish. The second I didn't need it, I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so kind of like algebra for me. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Solve for X. No thanks. No. So, um, yeah. Uh, this movie, though, it, it, it knows it's quirky. It's doing quirky. Does it make a comedy of itself? I don't think so. It's more disturbing than anything. Like, I didn't get... That was a disturbing comedy. Yeah, but more disturbing than comedy, right? Yeah, um, I didn't find it as as unfunny as Jolien. Um, I found some of the jokes a little a little weak. Although I found some lines great, like when she says, uh, "I don't know what the comment leading up to it was," but she makes some references. It's like, "Well, fine, I'll just get my GED and open a private practice, <laughs> like like a doctor's office, you know, works that way." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there were things like that I found amusing. Um, uh, I like that, you know, uh, although, as we discussed, she was not an attractive woman. Um, but I liked, I liked her makeup. She, I mean, they made her look like an actual teenager and... Uh, you know, spotty and greasy hair. Yeah, she was about 25 at the time, I think. Yeah, I figured she was probably mid-20s or so. I was, was going to guess 24, 25, yeah. That that's funny. always the, the, you know, the problem, you know, older people playing teenagers. Because when they use real teenagers, they look like uh, they're, you know... 10. 8 or 9 years old, yeah. <laughs> right. Or like Tracy Lords, and you get in trouble. <laughs> right. <laughs> when you look older and uh, you, you, yeah, you can pull it yeah. off. Um, I, I, feel, I feel kind of patronized when, uh, when beautiful people play ugly people. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, Do you remember your first experience that, uh, with this? Will, I'll ask you this because uh, you did grow up with Gilligan's Island. What, was your first experience when they put glasses on Ginger? And, uh, and she was supposed to be this homely person. No, it's not your first. I can't remember where I first saw that trope. 
Marilyn Monroe um, did that in a movie, didn't she? Hmm. It's like, look at the dork. Yes, what a homely dork she is. <laughs> is it monkey business? She's a secretary or something. She wears glasses. That sounds about right. Have you, have you seen that photo of uh, Marilyn Monroe playing Theda Barra playing Cleopatra? No. It's no. Astonishing. No, I didn't. Yeah, look it up. Marilyn Monroe's Theda Barra, you know, the, the vamp. The original yes, vamp. Yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. As Cleopatra. Yeah, I've got All a right. folder full of oh, Theta Barra pictures. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'll have to find that. That's interesting. Because there, there are some really striking pictures of Theta Barra as Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, okay, so, so Will, you said you didn't find it as unfunny as Jolien did. What, what do you think was especially um, hilarious about this movie? I don't know if I found any of it hilarious. The, I just found it a little more funny. I, I took it that Jolien didn't find it funny at all. Um, I, I found it funny, but I also at the same time found jokes that were the jokey bits did fall flat at times. But then there were other lines that I think were were amusing enough i suppose uh i didn't think any of it was very hilarious i enjoyed it i liked watching it i thought uh uh that uh you know it was amusing enough i you know if i had to give it a grade though i'd probably be a c right um uh, i did appreciate that um that the the main character pauline uh is so driven and so determined. She just kind of figures herself to be the only, the only person who knows what's going on and everyone else, everyone else simply doesn't understand. And uh, so she goes about getting what she wants kind of throughout the whole movie at whatever cost. And it just seems like a sociopath. Like she flat out tells the one guy's girlfriend that, uh, you know, uh, yeah, Adam, I think the guy's name was, you know, well, if, yeah, yeah if, if, uh, he's got anything, uh, I've got it and you've got it just in, yeah. in not very many words saying I slept with your boyfriend. But as she says that, you know, uh, she, uh, uh, yes, she's a sociopath, but, uh, as she says in the movie, you can also, uh, that's the description of any teenager. <laughs> that's right. She does yeah. say that. <laughs> See that? That's a pretty clever line. Yeah, I like her. Uh, that's true. I liked her question in health class about catching an STD from a dead body, because it was. <laughs> yeah. I maybe wish I had asked something like that in health class. It would have derailed the whole day. Yeah, she did have a lot of uh, fantasy sequences with necrophilia. Yeah. Which I had to wonder about, like, you know, was that important to the story? But I guess it told us more about how disturbed she was. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Um, did this remind you of, uh, of a hereditary where the younger sister had, uh, some sort of a condition, you know, where she had the allergy or whatever. 
she had yeah she had the peanut energy yeah like a no that didn't come up at all i didn't think of that at all yeah she was allergic 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 to being decapitated yeah it turned out yeah that that uh, telephone poles were uh her main allergy it was it was less tree nuts and more uh hitting your head on a post (laughs) that's a big allergen i thought the front the dream sequences in this were really beautifully shot and uh they uh, you know, they're working with a low budget, but they're doing these dreamy scenes. Uh, it reminded me of uh, Holy Mountain. With wow. that yeah, I thought the dream sequences were good. White against, uh, you know, these stark, high, highly colored backgrounds. Yeah. And they didn't, they didn't do the thing that could have easily fallen into the, the cliche of making the dream weird the sake of weirdness you know i thought they were sort of dreamlike yeah she just sort of flowed through nice. it nice yeah yeah she yeah the 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 uh the subjects in the dream sequence didn't get up and do weird things or whatever they just sort of laid there and <laughs> dealt with her floating through it yeah or you know getting splashed with blood or what have you so um yeah uh it was interesting that uh, that this girl has these aspirations to become a doctor, but doesn't really show like having a gift for it <laughs> at all. No. But then uh, makes the executive decision toward the end of the movie that uh, since her sister had the coughing fit and is on a transplant list, uh, and this is of course like we said we would spoil this one. She decides that the uh, the uh, the rude girl from across the street with the jump rope would be a good mm-hmm. subject, a good, a good uh, lung transplant donor. donor. Yeah. Yeah. So she puts her at the top of the donor list. Yeah. It seems like a jump yeah. there because she goes from uh, operating on a, on a dead bird to full on transplant surgery. Yeah. She's not, I, I would have liked to have seen some progression where she's testing out. She gets a blood sample somehow from the, the jump rope girl. Yeah. So she's, oh. she's actually trying to figure it out because she seems smarter than that to go directly from a random bird to a random donor. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a leap, isn't it? So, uh, she decides to chloroform everybody. I, I assume it's chloroform or something similar. She's, she knows the parents have a date night. So she knocks out dad before mom gets home, ties him up. Uh, knocks out the neighbor girl, knocks out her own sister. And for whatever reason, shaves her head. I don't know if that's for the sake of uh, making it a more sterile environment. Apparently the actor, um, Annalyn McCord, did shave her head for the role. Which is interesting. And uh, mom comes home to discover her. Well, you know, but hair grows back. They always say that, but hair grows back. It does. It's not like she had a limb amputated or. Poked out an eye so she could wear an eye patch or reel in her movie. <laughs> right. Um, but mom comes home and discovers that she's just finished suturing the two of them up. And, and she, she <coughs> she's gone completely bananas and is laughing wildly. And, that, and that's uh, kind of where we see it wrap up. Now, I don't know if you guys saw this somewhere other than Tubi. Did anything happen during uh, the during the credits? No. Okay, because it tried to jump to the next movie that I didn't ask for. 
and I didn't get to see if oh. anything popped up during the credits. Mate, you can dismiss that. Okay. Yeah, I watched it on Plex. Okay. Which is just like Tubi. So we uh, so we assume that uh, that uh, her sister is fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopped yeah. right up off the table and did a couple laps. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, huh? It's like I can finally breathe. Yeah. Thanks, sis. Yeah. So, uh, did it work for you in the end? Or I should ask, did the ending work for you both at all? Well, it's right there in the title what's going to happen. That yeah. is true. I mean, just, it was just building for to that. Pick which you know, wondering which person's going to be the the donor. That's that's the only mystery, really. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say I was. Uh, I gave it my undivided attention. It, it definitely was that strange, and not a long movie either. It was only 81 minutes. Well, that's perfect. I would say story-wise, you know, with a few tweaks, you could turn this into something more serious or more comedic. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, is basically the Wasp Factory is a similar sort of idea with kids experimenting with surgery and working mm. their way f- from insects, you know, through uh, mammals and so on. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this, man, this one, it's like, I, I really expected her to get uh, expelled, but she didn't. For some weird reason. Oh, and we had she the got suspended indefinitely. Yeah, she did finally. Um, I'm trying to remember the woman's name who was from Children of a Lesser God. Uh, but the admin- Marley, Matlin. Marley Matlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She Marley Matlin was Amber, who was uh, one of the administrators at the school. And uh, I did love the conversation in sign language. <laughs> She's like, "You don't have to talk slowly. I'm deaf, not stupid." <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty cool. I felt like this could have gone two other directions, but it went the direction it went. And I I was pretty pleased with it as far as like being entertained. Uh, Yeah, it could have been more serious or it could have been more comedic. But it kind of toggled back and forth a bit. And uh, I didn't feel it was necessarily very funny. (laughs) It was tragically funny in a few places. What did you guys yeah. think of that part of it? Like the tragedy of it? Yeah, I found it overall quite depressing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was a nice bummer of an afternoon for you? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, All right. What about recommends? Um, do you think horror fans are going to dig this? Can you recommend it to a horror fan? Depends what kind of horror fan, I guess. Well, gorehounds will get a few uh, a few laughs. Yeah, they'll you know they'll have a few moments. I'd probably recommend it. Yeah, I, I would say it's worth a look, but uh, non horror fans are going to probably uh, not be able to hang with this one. <clears throat> no, I don't think so. All right. Uh, well, if there's right. if there's nothing else, then uh, then let's just say, uh, listeners, thank you for listening. Stay off the moors.